0: You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Okay, so we're still in Genesis. Um, I'll be honest, whenever I called my dad and uh, we were talking about the passage, I was asking him where he was physically going to be today, and he said, I'm going to be, I mean, I just finished up where, you know, where I left off last week. He said, but you can go wherever you want in the scripture. And I was like, okay, I mean, I meant where are you physically going to be? I don't think he wanted me to go back into Genesis. I think he wants this for himself. So what we're going to do, I love Genesis, and I love the story of Joseph. We're going to hang out in chapter 39. We'll do a quick recap of where he was, and we're just going to finish out chapter 39. So it actually shouldn't take that long. Um, We won't talk too much about the depression, that, uh, or what we're talking about last week, and then I think the coming weeks, but just some of our observations of the passage, what the text tells us. Um, but yeah, usually if I'm up here, it's a last resort. It means Alec had a stomach bug or something this week, or Reggie's gone, as you can tell. Uh, yeah, so that's what I'm here. Um, our family's been sick for over a week. We're on a week and a half now, and Ethan woke up on his fifth birthday with fever and he's had fever since Tuesday so they missed VBS he actually wanted to be here some of y'all didn't Uh, you wish you could have gotten that fever Uh, but yeah he's been sick and I was up all through the night with him last night because we have Titus who's nine weeks old so we're trying to keep them separate to make sure Titus didn't have to go to the hospital for anything Um, all right but yeah we're going to be in Genesis chapter 39 verse we're going to start in verse 1 and just read through Um, And I figure we'll do minimal damage if we just stop at the end of 39. Um, And what we'll do is I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to do a read-through, and we'll kind of make some observations along the way. So let's just pray. Uh, Jesus, Lord, we thank you, God, for worship. Lord, thank you for the praise team and and what you do with this worship that just hopefully just pleases you, God. And, Lord, we know that we only have access to it uh, through your blood, Jesus. And so, Lord, none of us are worthy to be up here. None of us are, are worthy to even speak a word to you. But, God, in your grace, God, you give us a way of salvation. And, Lord, you don't just let us have salvation. Lord, you let us live a life where we get to proclaim your truth. So, Lord, we pray right now as we look at your word, God, that you'll just empower it. Lord, that you'll do what you want to do in our hearts. And Lord, that we'll learn lessons from Joseph. And God, we give you thanks for all that you're going to do in the service. We pray us all in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we'll start just verse 1, chapter 39. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV. Uh, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Now, we made a big deal out of this last week because we said he prospered in the midst of slavery. Joseph prospers. But in verse 3, there's something really interesting that I think we can kind of hang out on. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned from the household and all, of all that he owned. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. And that was what we were talking about that. There's a principle in the, in the life of Joseph that's really clear, and it's the idea, it's a doctrine of God's providence, right? And this is God's providence, that God in his providence, in his sovereignty over all of creation, is actually, and we believe as Baptists that he allows for the free will of man, but whatever decision man's making is actually going into a grand scheme that God is ultimately in charge of. And so you may think that you've taken that job, you regret it, it was a bad choice on your part, but now you're there. God in his providence works that decision out for his ultimate glory, right? So Joseph, his brothers sinned against him. They did things that were wrong. They, they hurt him, but God in his providence is now working it for his glory. And really what it looks like is that the earth is a stage and God is actually moving places around. He's moving the scenery around on this stage. And that's where we're acting out our free will now. And God in his providence is actually taking care of Joseph. And Potiphar is getting the peripheral benefits of God's providence in Joseph's life. There's one thing here in verse 3, when his master saw that the Lord was with him. Uh, you know, we look at that, if we're looking at practical, how, does, how do people see or do people see that the Lord is actually in us? And you may be like, oh yes, I just have a glow about me. <laughs> I don't have any glow, I'm sorry. Um, and I don't know that Joseph was singing all the time. Um, how did Potiphar notice or see the Lord in Joseph's life? That's one of the questions I would want to know. Um, and a lot of times we make, like, I wrote down here, like, God's providence doesn't do the dishes, right? Like, God's ultimate sovereignty over the world. You know, all of us want to picture, I don't know, old-timers, we're thinking Disney Fantasia. Remember, all the brooms are sweeping themselves. Um, newcomers, youngins, um, we're talking Harry Potter, dishes washing themselves type stuff. And Joseph's just lounging around singing, right? No, the truth is that Joseph probably worked harder than anybody else. He scrubbed the floor harder than anybody else. He worked longer hours than anybody else. But God's providence blessed the scrubbing, right? Right? And so we—I mean, a few of us have been in Colossians chapter three, verse twenty-three and twenty-four. Paul says, "Listen, anything that you do, do it." And I think the King James says, "Heartily, as unto the Lord." Right? That everything we do is actually an act unto God. And so, mowing a, a yard or whatever your profession calls you to do has us actually acting out worship now. So, if I'm going to lay bricks or if I'm going to work in plumbing, or if I'm going to be a waiter, I want to be somebody that approaches that job as unto the Lord. And, and the truth is, a lot of times God will bless that. Now, I do want to say last week, and I know that I don't think anybody got confused. If you go to this church, you understand we're not health and wealth. And then when we talk about the prison, and the palace, some of you may end up in a palace. All right. The overwhelming majority of us are not going to end up in a palace. Right. And many believers have died in prison and so we know that the end goal isn't a palace, right? The end goal is that, we, that we're deliverers. And we see Joseph's being taken from a, a dreamer now to being moved into a deliverer. And the question for us, we want to look at this passage just real quick as we read through to catch up. Can people see the Lord in us? And if they're going to, how are they going to see it? Um, there's some people that they're just bubbly all the time. And they always speak with a polished voice. And no matter where they are or how they feel on the inside, this is how their voice comes out. (laughs) I want real. And usually if you're at Southside, you want real too. Um, That's not how people see the Lord in us. That's how they see Lexapro in us, right? Um, So yeah, they saw the Lord and then he begins, he notices now that God's blessing Joseph and he's, Hey, listen, if you want your employer, man, wouldn't it be great testimony? God's employer sees that God's blessing what you do, so he puts you in charge of more stuff, right? We all want that call on our life, right? All right, so we pick back up in, I think, verse 5, This halfway through there. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. First off, in all the Bible, this is rarely ever said. Okay? So, just know that. I don't know how you guys feel about yourself, but Joseph should feel special. There's very rare that God actually says that, hey, I made him good, right? (laughs) Ladies, if your husband said that to you, slap him. Um, But it's actually really, really rare that somebody's being referred to as handsome. Joseph is referred to as handsome. So if you look over the whole scope of the the Bible and people's appearance, (coughs) then Joseph probably stood out from the crowd. He's well-built. I I mean, I don't know. I've seen the mummy. I think that everybody was well-built according to the mummy in Egypt, right? All right, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns is he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. He, he would leave the room when she came in. And we talked about the persistence of sin in our life. That Listen, it's not like you have the battle with sin. You're like, okay, that's over. I'm done. Thank God I got through that. Um, It will always be waiting, right? And like Cain, it's always going to be waiting outside our door. And um, so Joseph knew that day after day she continues to come on to him. 11, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. (sighs) Sin always looks for vulnerability. And one thing that we can expect, and I don't know that this was really just a practical view here, but it seeks out vulnerability in our life, right? So Joseph goes in, and there's no one else in the house. And we kind of get this feeling like maybe she's orchestrated it, that Joseph as a supervisor would have always had somebody there. He's always leaving the room when she comes in. And so I would just say Matthew 4, right, when Jesus is tempted... Satan comes and gets him at the end of a 40-day fast, right? And what does he tempt him with? What he was most vulnerable for, he tempts him with bread, right? Hey, just command these stones to become bread and have that, right? Um, And sin does the same thing in our life. So we use this mindset of, okay, um, if you're hitting HBO at 3 a.m., right? Or logging online at 3 a.m., nothing good happens on the Internet. I'll just leave it. No, I'm kidding. Um, After 11 p.m., right? Right? Or I'm just going to buy this bottle of vodka to make my world-famous vanilla extract. (laughs) I'm going to keep these pain pills tucked away for, I don't even know how to finish the sentence, but I know that we fill in the blank. Um, I'm just going to go to the club and dance with my girlfriends. That's a woman saying that, hopefully. Sin always seeks out vulnerability, and Joseph's a smart guy. He's been dodging it every step of the way, and as smart Christians, hopefully we're dodging it. Don't intentionally go and make yourself vulnerable because that's what we end up doing, right? We have some lame excuse that we use to move into a certain situation where we know we will sin. And the Bible calls us to avoid those at all costs. And she pounces on him as soon as he comes in. In verse 11, verse 12, she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her ha- her household servants. Look, she said to them, "This Hebrew has been brought to make sport of us. He came here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. It's redundant. That Hebrew slave you brought you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying." This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master... Okay, now listen. Potiphar is the captain of the guard... of Pretty much the king of the world at the time, right? The Egyptian empire is on its way up. It's a mover and shaker in all world politics. And this guy has, is in charge of the group of military men... That look after the head guy. And Potiphar, for whatever reason... He burns with anger when he hears this news that a slave has tried to sexually assault his wife. What's the captain of the guard going to do every time? He's going to kill him, right? They'll go dump the body somewhere. Nobody will ever know or they'll make it really public. He's killing Joseph. For whatever reason, Potiphar doesn't do that. Potter had all the capacity, he had all of the equipment, he had all of the personnel to do a really big investigation, right? So he could have had CSI Egypt come in there. Um, Horatio comes in, and they say, Horatio, what do you think? He picks up, well, looking at these fingernail claw marks of a woman on the cloak, I would say she's using this cloak to cover up the truth. <laughs> yeah. So why not death? There's doubt there. He, sus- he suspects that she's lying. She's twisting the truth now to pull a fast one over her husband, but still there's the public appearance. What's he going to do with this guy that he can't take the word of a Hebrew slave over his own wife? And in Egyptian politics, we can assume they're, they're, they had power. Women had power in that day, or else Moses wouldn't have made it. Right? And so we see that Potiphar actually he tucks him away in a dungeon in prison. Right? So let's continue reading. In verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, uh uh-oh, the Lord was with him. He showed, showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden... Put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And so we see, if we see that, and we always have to be careful. Remember that Sunday school mentality creeps in, and we picture Joseph in a cell singing some kind of biblical musical. Right? I'm in jail, but look how fast the flowers grow. Um, he's miserable there, right? And God shows him kindness and that he's living. And if we're not careful, we kind of assume that I picture Joseph sleeping in the prison guard's office, right? Like they got a sleeper sofa in there. He's comfortable. But we actually find out later in verse, chapter 40, verse 15, when he appeals to Pharaoh, the word is, I don't deserve to be in this dungeon. So he's not in the nice lounge area of the dungeon. It's a dungeon, Right. And if we're not careful, we picture this prison orientation. Everybody got your orientation binders? Okay, turn to page 7. Your prison blanket should be folded or used as a comfy throw blanket over your recliner. Also, make sure you water the lilacs. And Bruno in cell 6 has a wonderful sun tea he's going to cook later for us this evening. It's not that way. It's miserable, right? And so don't discount what Joseph's going through. Like, we forget, like, whenever his brothers are angry with him... They hated him. They they wanted him dead. And and what's crazy is that we kind of picture them being merciful or we don't think of how harsh it actually was. They wanted him dead. The only thing that keeps him alive is the fact that they can make a little bit of money off of him. Joseph is in the the pits of despair. But you know what? That's what God's doing. In this chapter, we see that, that statement that's been made that God's taking a dreamer and he's turning him into a deliverer. The truth is, guys, for every one of us that have been walking with the Lord, and even for those that may have fallen by the wayside, if you look back to five years ago yourself, and you could bring your five-year-ago self in here, are you smarter? Yes. Honestly, every time I think, man, if I could bring 10-year-old, 10-year-ago ledger in here, I'd punch him right in the mouth. (laughs) Like, we're always smarter than we used to be, hopefully, if some of you were going to say no, it was just to placate what you thought we wanted. Um, we're always smarter than we used to be. And we see God moving this dreamer now into, into a deliverer. And he's put him into a really bad place. And so if we look back at some of these overarching principles, the prison was preparing Joseph for the palace. And I thought, well, God, isn't there an easier way for him to get there? Like, couldn't he have just gone straight from Potiphar's house to the palace? But the truth is, maybe he couldn't have. And we know that Joseph, although in Scripture has him almost like a a Christ figure in the Old Testament, Joseph still had some stuff he had to work through, right? We knew that. And the path out of slavery for Joseph was actually into prison. So we have to remember that as well. And so God's actually developing him into something better. And maybe he just wasn't ready for the palace yet. This last week we did VBS. Um, I was in charge of recreation uh, if you can throw a dodgeball 50 miles an hour hey you know what you qualify for VBS um, but yeah one of the things we play in VBS and luckily the kids like it they like dodgeball so I'll usually give them three almost every one of them involves hitting a kid with a ball but dodgeball is the most brutal and so the kids will actually choose dodgeball just about every time teachers with a dodgeball kid's been acting bad, won't listen. The law tells you you can't hurt them. You want to grab them, you want to choke them. You want to shove them into a wall, you can't do it. And you know what? Our church says you can't do it. But all the law in the world protects a dodgeballer. So in that moment, teachers grab the ball, they see the kid there that's been smarting off all night, it's been giving them trouble all night, and the law has tied their hands. But now they're in the law-free zone of dodgeball. And I got to see Bell crow-hop one right into a kid's side. The truth is, a lot of times, we've got to work our way up into power. Like, God eases us into some sense of authority. You know, it's one of the reasons that whenever we look at the qualifications for a deacon or elder in the New Testament, it all involves he's a husband, he's a father, and the way he runs his household. That's, this, that's not... That's the rule, and there are exceptions, right? Because we know Timothy's young. But the Scripture knew, listen, most of us aren't going to have it down yet. You stay up a few nights with that screaming kid, and it'll make you a little more gentle the next few years, right? And God knows that. He's prepared Joseph for it. And so with the VBS dodgeball analogy, some people aren't ready for the dodgeball. They can't be trusted with it. Bell, we actually know that now, and next time you won't, you're going to be barred. The other thing is this. Inside of Potiphar's household, Joseph's a slave, but he's worked his way up. He's actually a pretty high-ranking person. He's over the entire household. So he was probably given some comfort. He probably became pretty aware. Listen, he would have been in charge of maintaining a temple, a pagan temple. And so think about it. Joseph's in this setting, and he's actually getting kind of comfortable there. He's getting esteem. And I almost feel like God takes him out of that that environment takes him to prison just to say don't get comfortable here and one of the things that we look at joseph's life everything changes like that think about it he's on his way to check on his brothers whom he's kind of a you know he's going to do the quarterly performance report on the flock going to meet with his brothers he's thrown into a pit his life fundamentally changes from that point on when he's with the ishmaelite traders he's sold in an instant right this whole thing with Potiphar, it escalates so quickly that within the night, he's in jail. He's buried under the jail in a dungeon, right? And his, his time or trip out of the prison would also be almost instantaneous. And so we get this feeling like God's saying to us as a congregation, as brothers and sisters in Christ, don't get too comfortable here, but also don't count too much on this stuff. Potiphar's stuff's not yours, Joseph, And he'll throw you in prison, he'll slit your throat just like that if he had a reason to. Don't think that he cares about you, only God cares about you. His his life constantly changes in an instant, and listen, ours can too. And so Joseph has this dynamic in his life that no matter where he was, he remembers how quickly it can change. And if we could have one reminder for us, it would be that no matter where you are right now in life, it can change like that. One doctor's visit, right? A job termination or a layoff or one accident, and everything that we think we have, everything that we put so much money to protect, can all be taken away from us like that. So don't get too comfortable here in this world. Don't get too comfortable whether you're in the palace or whether you're in the prison because it can change really, really quickly. And this is the over, if I was going to give one principle for everything we were going to say today, this is what it would be. And I think it's good. This is our overarching principle, that this should teach us, that dynamic should teach us to enjoy or endure whatever God's put before us while fully trusting in God's providence. And I think that does actually hit at anxiety and depression because the anxious person, I can't buy this house, I might lose my job. I can't buy any house, I might lose my job. All right? All right. Um, What if I lose my job? I can't sleep tonight. Uh, That's anxiety. And then the depressed person is, I'm never going to get out of this. I will always be in this prison. I'm never getting out of here. And we have to remember that with God's providence, if he's in control of everything and he's moving things around as he sees fit, and he's actually going to move us around too, that it could change really quickly. And the reason we say endure or enjoy is because for Joseph, he was enduring this prison. And God shows him kindness and mercy while he's in prison. And some of you may be in some sense of a prison setting right now. And God's saying, hey, endure it because I can get you out really, really quickly. And we'll go to what he wants us to do in those moments in a second. Others of us may be in a, in a moment where we can enjoy it. And we enjoy it while trusting in God's providence. We enjoy it while trusting that God, you know what, you may take it away from me. And if you do, I'll trust you in that, God. If you're in the palace living, you're in Potiphar's house, I'm gonna trust you in that, Lord. But whatever we do, we don't wanna get too comfortable here. We don't want to begin to invest or protect our health or wealth, our relationships. Listen, we don't put our faith in money, in homes, in technology, in phones. I didn't mean to rhyme. Guns, government, military, health, Health insurance, retirement plans, our intellect, or food. That's my issue. (laughs) Listen, we don't put our money, we don't put all of our faith in any of that. But when God gives it to us, we can enjoy it, knowing that in His providence, He may take it away. And one of the things we see in Joseph's life, really quick side note, is the idea of stewardship. No matter where God put him, no matter what God gave him, Joseph was always making sure that he stewarded it towards the Lord. So people will want to give Joseph credit for the ability to interpret dreams. Joseph doesn't allow it. No, no, no. God did that, right? You hear some people say, like, it's this token statement. By God's grace, I got a six-pack on your stomach, not alcohol. Um, By God's grace, I got my master's. Um, And it's a very true statement, but a lot of times it's just like the preface, a really cocky comment. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. But we don't put any of our trust in that. Um, Paul's words in Philippians chapter 4, we'll just go there. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. A lot of you already know where we're heading with this. Paul got to, he got to ride the roller coaster ride of God's providence. Chapter 4. And he says there, Chapter four, verse eleven, he says, "I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength." And isn't it crazy that he was saying that he depended just as much on Jesus, whether he had plenty? Or just as much on Jesus if he had zero. And that's what we find in the life of the believer. In God's providence, we have to constantly find ourselves being pushed more and more to Jesus. You know, eventually, Joseph's going to find himself in the palace. Do you ever think he wished he had the prison walk back? And I don't mean like the hard prison walk. Um, Like that he was actually that desperate for God again. Or that he was that in need of of God's answers that closeness that he had with God and I think sometimes that we find ourselves in situations where we got everything we want like our life has gotten exponentially better but our walk with God's changed and we don't have the desperate walk that we had whenever we our relationship with that person was in trouble or our job was in turmoil or our health was we were afraid for our health And so I guess what we want to look at is Joseph would eventually always be pushed towards God and his grace. But we want that same thing no matter where we're at. There's a a scene in Rocky. There's a lot of really godly doctrine in Rocky. I'm just kidding. Um, It's the one where Mickey dies. Spoiler alert if you didn't see it. Uh, yeah. Uh, Anyways, Mickey tells him... He says, listen, he's like, you used to eat metal and spit bullets. And then he says, but then you know what happened to you? The worst thing that can happen to any fighter. He says, you got civilized. And some of us, we look back, and though we're smarter than our 10-year-ago self, we're, we're more civilized, but we're much less useful for the kingdom. And I think God might take that more uncivilized idiot that was witnessing anybody that moved um, over the more civilized guy. And so in the danger in Joseph's life and what God would always do, I think it was give him this some sense of, I'm not going to be comfortable here. Because I know that it could change at any moment. I know I have to depend on Jesus the whole time. And so Joseph has, he lives his life that way. He lives his life deeply scarred. Listen, the prison orientation wasn't going through a binder. The prison orientation was probably being whipped. At that point, he didn't have any clout with the warden. For all he knew, the warden knew, Joseph had tried to rape the general or whatever Potiphar, captain of the guards wife so he's probably got physical scars but so much more than that he's got these emotional scars of what it means when your family turns on you and not to have anybody in the world to literally be alone in a pit and so what is he going to do with those scars right and some of you look and we look at this pastor and we say wait a second i've got scars and so what do, what did joseph do with his scars what are we going to do with our scars what does jesus want out of that this is what he wants. He wants it for, to further our daily dependence on him. So every time that scar comes up, every time I see it, I'm looking and I'm saying, God, thank you. God, help me to deal with it. God, deliver me from it. You know, in Matthew 18, Peter comes up and he's like, okay, Jesus, how many times have I have to forgive my brother? Seven. That's a little, well, that's a lot to ask, but I'll do it seven times. And Jesus says, no, you got to forgive him like 70 times 7. And that was a picture of like never-ending forgiveness, right? And so with our life, with our scars, it pushes for daily dependence on Jesus, daily comfort from God's Holy Spirit that only comes from spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer. God's Holy Spirit is now comforting us. He is called the Comforter in our scars. And it also pushes us to show forgiveness to other people, the people that actually hurt us. And then it also causes us to minister to other people with similar wounds. Um, Alicia and I, Titus is nine weeks old, but last fall, we were here. I was getting ready for Sunday school, and I was making coffee, and I'm just gonna, I think I'll remember this for the rest of my life And Alicia comes in and she's hysterical, and she can't even speak, and she can only cry out. And she's bleeding, right? We're 14 weeks along in our pregnancy, and usually that's, you know what's happening at that point. So, okay, I'm going to try to calm her down. I'm trying to get out the door without talking to people, and I get my dad's truck, and we head to River Oaks. Um, On the way there, you know, we get off Flowood Drive. We're running down um, Flowood Drive where those warehouses are. The flea market's there now, and I say, hey, we're going to pray. Let's pray about this Um, because she's just weeping, and in that moment we sit there and we pray and we ask God no matter what he's going to do listen, this is God's providence this is the comfort of God's providence no matter what he does that he's going to comfort us in the midst of it he's going to take care of us and so we, we both cry, I'm crying in our prayer and we make our way to the hospital at the ER while we're there it was not a good experience they've lowered the wait times at, say, at River Oaks ER but they also have like terrible personalities still with you there so the sonographer that, for all we know, is doing a, a sonogram to show us the, our baby is dead um, is, like, from Russia. I don't know. She wasn't ethnic at all, but she was mean. Um, we get out of there. When I leave, there were only a few people that had a right or that I wanted to hear from in those moments. And those are people that I know that they would had similar hurt. And if we were going to lose Titus that day, I didn't want to hear from all the well-wishers, all that garbage, the Lifeway cards, save it. I want to hear from somebody that went through it, right? And so there's a few people that came to mind, and some of them were actually there. And so we have this principle in Joseph's life that God's raising him up to be a deliverer, to share with people that had similar hurt, similar wounds. And we see that even in Jesus in John 9. Remember the disciples come upon a blind guy, and Jesus. Is, and Ethan asked me this question recently. He said, what? what did that guy do that God made him this? And I was like, okay. We don't usually, I don't know why, John 9 never makes the bedtime Bible story um, curriculum for us. But we went to John 9, because the disciples say, what did this guy, did his parents sin or did he sin? that's why he's blind. Um, and Jesus says, nobody sinned. That's not the reason he's blind. He's blind so that I can show God's work in his life. And he heals him there, right? And so people like Joseph, people like us in this room that have scars that run deep, God's got us healed so that we can actually minister to others now. And so a few things that we want to ask in this moment, if we're struggling, if we're in the prisons of life in that setting, we want to ask, hey, God, what are you trying to develop in me? What are you trying to weed out of me? For me, it's a laundry list, like in the midst of everything happening with me and Alicia. um, After that, she kept bleeding until like almost 26 weeks. So, And the whole time that's happening, they're saying, hey, it's 50-50 chance you're going to lose this baby. So we kind of left, lived our life on edge there for a while. In the midst of all of that, she developed seizures in her pregnancy. And so I'm trying to balance work and still go home and be with her when she has a seizure and also worry about her driving on the road. And then we go to a specialist, um, OBGYN, that does an in-depth sonogram. And he says, listen, everything looks okay. Um, He said, we want to check percentiles. Anytime the body bleeds, it's usually the body trying to get rid of a default in your baby, right? So now we're thinking about birth defects. Well, the next time we go to the doctor, and nobody, I don't share, we didn't share this with anybody because I didn't want everybody to think we were cursed. But the next time we go to the doctor, we go and they say, listen, his his legs are actually measuring short. And uh, they're registering below 10%. And so that's usually a marker for Down syndrome. So now we've got all of these markers for Down syndrome the whole time that we're dealing with. And I'll be honest, guys, I pulled into our office at work and I I cried to the Lord because I said, God, I was like, you know, Moses at one point pleads for the Lord to hold his hand back because he wants to kill the nation of Israel. And and Moses says, what are people going to think of you? And I finally said, God, I'm all for whatever you want to do. I've always been burdened for kids with special needs and their parents. I've always wanted to minister to them, didn't know how. Maybe God was getting me ready for that. In that moment, I pray, God, whatever you want to do. But I would ask this, that no matter what you do, that you think of how people are going to look at you. And I had that kind of blunt conversation with God. Those are the prison walks, right? Those are the times that we're really intimate and real with God. And then all of the vague doctrine actually comes and hits home with us. And so we ask ourselves in these conversations, God, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to weed out of me? And I had a legal pad full. And if surviving isn't the hope, it isn't the end goal. God doesn't want us just to survive. What does God want from me? If Joseph was turned into a deliverer, I am becoming what? And that's what we want to ask wherever we're at. This idea of sanctification, we make it some really general thing, but the the truth is, is that God has something specific for us. If Joseph's becoming a deliverer, being developed into a deliverer, what am I being developed into? It's not a good church member. I mean, hopefully that's a peripheral thing. If so, we're really in trouble. At the end of the day, we went for weeks and weeks where, listen... We would have sonograms every week, right? And he measured a certain way. Then he would measure one way, measure another. We kind of just got used. We finally got to the point where, you know what, God? No matter what, it's your will. So whatever you want to do, it's going to be your will. The day, y'all, listen, the day that, uh, that we had the baby, we were a little bit early, and um, Alicia's sick, and she's had infections and stuff throughout the pregnancy. All that's going on. And the day, that, that night, we're sitting there, and she's running fever, and she's getting chills. All of that could be a sign of the baby coming. We didn't know. Finally, thanks to the Internet, I don't think Jan is in here, but a woman that's, that's that pregnant, and she's running over a certain temperature, there's risk of infection that could hurt the baby. So she's running crazy temperature. We load her up in the truck. And she's getting hysterical, worried about the baby again. The idea that what if after all of this, we still lose Titus. So we're driving and y'all, no lie. Whenever we get ready, I said, you know what? We got to pray. So we reach, we take hands. We look, we're in the same spot and flow of drive. The same warehouse we had passed at 14 weeks and God was the same God. His providence was there the whole time. And so here we are crying. And in my prayer, I reference the fact that, God, we're still crying out to you for this baby. And I would like to say, you know what? After that, we're actually moving to a palace. No, it's hard having a baby. And having three kids is really hard. So honestly, it feels a little like a prison. But God calls us to endure fully trusting his providence, no matter where we're at. This is what's scary is to be in a moment where you don't have that available. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and you've been going through the hurt and the pain in life without that comfort, without the knowledge that God in his providence is actually looking out over a bigger plan, and he's looking after you as child, then I would want to get that straight. Some of us need to repent and call on God to save us, right? Some of us need to be saved today. And so if that's you, we're going to pray. You can come down. You can pray with me. I guess since everybody's gone, Alan can come and be prayed with. Would you mind being down here? And uh, Stan, would you mind being down here? Uh, But this is the thing. Listen, life is always going to be hard. It's never changed. People talk about the good old days. There were never any good old days. Like the 60s for African-Americans weren't the good old days. All right? The 50s weren't either. So let's stop talking about the good old days. The Christian church has been through a lot of hurt. We've been through a lot, and we're going to always go through a lot. And so my encouragement is this. Life's going to be hard, but God's good in the midst of a hard life. And God and his providence can be trusted. And so my thing is, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, and the truth is, if if there are things that are rocking you, then you know what? Call on him today to save you. So we're going to pray. Jan is going to come and lead. And we're going to have a moment. Listen, you may be here and you may be going through some struggles. I want you just to come and pray if that's the case. So let's pray together. Dear Jesus, Lord, we thank you, God, that you heal us. And, Lord, that Joseph would eventually have to confront his brothers. And, Lord, right now, God, I just pray, God, for people in here that may be hurt. Or they may have scars that run deep and people that were close to them hurt them really badly. Lord, I pray right now, God, that you'll begin to heal. And Lord, if somebody here is here and they don't know you, God, they'll come down here, they'll be counseled with. Lord, they'll call on you to save them. And Lord, that in childlike faith, they'll believe in you, they'll repent of sin. God, they'll stop doing those things and, and they'll want to seek you, Jesus. For brothers and sisters who know you, Lord, but they've been far away from you and you've been trying to draw them back, Lord, we pray right now, God, that you will just work in people's hearts. And we pray us all in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.